Hi there, welcome to Pencils Down. On today's episode, I'm excited to be joined by David Willard. David is the founder and managing partner of 52 Capital Partners, a boutique advisory based right here in Silicon Valley. His firm provides strategic advice on cross-border M&A between North America and the Asia-Pacific region. Previously, David worked at Goldman Sachs and was also a deal lawyer at the law firm Cravath. Way back when, David was a college classmate of mine at Princeton. He's been an amazing sounding board and early user of Finalysis Technology Platform. Just a quick disclaimer that this recording was made prior to COVID-19 hitting the United States. So with that, let's get started. David Willard, welcome to the Pencils Down podcast. Fed, great to be on. Thanks so much for having me. You know, it's interesting. I've known you for a number of years now, and I actually don't have a ton of context around how you made your way into the investment banking space. Just to start things off, it'd be great if you could give me a little bit of context around your story. Sure, absolutely. I had kind of a circuitous route to the investment banking industry, Fed, interestingly enough. I East Asian studies major, liberal arts major at Princeton, and wasn't too focused on finance or economics in university. And But I had this huge interest in markets and China in particular. And so in thinking through post-grad opportunities, given all China and US-China relations, particularly regarding the economies, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to work at a large multinational investment banking institution that had that international exposure to big markets like China. And so that was the main reason why I started out in investment banking. It was not preordained by any stretch. I was originally pre-med and kind of dabbled in different topics, and it just kind of came together through some serendipity and was a Goldman banker starting out as an analyst in the London office back in 06, so about 13, 14 years ago. And, you know, it was a great opportunity, but what was not a preordained, you know, set path for me, it really just kind of came together, mainly driven by my interest in China. Awesome. I mean, it's fascinating. One of the things that stood out to me, David, about your background is that, like me, you're also a recovering attorney (laughs) that found your way into the space. Tell me a little bit about that experience and elements of that experience that informed your decision to ultimately move into the deal world. I think for me, you know, in thinking about the legal profession, kind of stepping back, you know, I was sizing up whether to do an MBA or JD and thinking through a law degree, I saw it as an opportunity to gain a versatile degree that could be leveraged either at a law firm or long-term within the financial services industry. And that's why I ultimately pursued the JD route. And in thinking through kind of post-graduate school opportunities, there was just a great opportunity to work at a large law firm in New York with a great you know, brand to it, great practices, particularly in M&A. And so I jumped at that opportunity and worked in a corporate law setting, really enjoyed, you know, the opportunity to work on, you know, large transactions that involve lots of complexity. They're just fundamentally a problem solving job. But then in thinking through kind of, you know, the chapter beyond law firm, I wanted to return to my roots in finance. I very much enjoyed the quantitative side of advising clients. And while, you know, working on off to you know, advise clients and to solve their legal problems, I find that I'm a more quantitatively oriented individual. And I frankly just find the financial realm a bit more stimulating intellectually. And so I would say the experience anyone gets from a law firm is very valuable in a finance setting. And that's certainly been the case for me. While we don't 
deal with legal opinions or offering any sort of legal advice at my firm, 52 Capital Partners, the analytics and the problem solving skills that come from, you know, working at a large firm are, are invaluable. And that's been the case today. So it was an interesting transition going from a big firm setting to bootstrapping my own, you know, independent financial advisory firm, but it's been an extraordinary journey and I couldn't be happier. I'm so glad you mentioned that last part because I think another area, David, where we're kindred spirits is the fact that you left a large established organization to start your own venture and to effectively become an entrepreneur in the creation of 52 Capital Partners. Tell me a little bit about what, what informed that impetus to ultimately make that leap. Yeah, how it came together was interestingly enough, a bit of serendipity. You know, it was in the Bay Area and kind of late 2017, early 2018. And was thinking about what chapter I would take career-wise. I'd worked in finance previously, I'd worked in private equity, obviously I'd worked at the big law firm, and was thinking about the next step. And it kind of came together with some serendipity. I had a former client of mine from my old law firm contact me in the spring of 2018 with a strategic transaction where they needed some advice. And it was that first client, it just takes one client, said just one client to get things going. I got that great call. It was a pretty funny story. I got the call because of the time difference. I got a call at like 6 a.m. Pacific time from this prospective client from the East Coast saying, hey, can you work on this M&A deal for me? And I'm thinking, my gosh, this is the opportunity to take on a client and to start my own firm. So with that, that was my first client. And lo and behold, within 48 hours, I had two more clients come to me with transactions that required some sage advice. And so quickly, it just kind of mushroomed from there and developed a book of business early on that allowed me to scale the firm in a measured way, but allowed me to scale it sufficiently enough where I could bring on some staff, scale the firm, take on more clients, increase my expenditures in terms of marketing to get you know the brand out there. And then from there, it's just taken on a life of its own. But I never thought in my wildest dreams that, that I'd ever be a startup entrepreneur in Silicon Valley starting my own you know, boutique investment bank. It really just came together overnight and took on a life of its own. And it's been a lot of fun. It's a 180 from working at a large established financial institution or law firm. It's extraordinarily different in terms of just the day-to-day, you know, hustle in terms of getting out there and advising clients and generating new leads, new pipeline for developing the business and growing it, but I couldn't be happier with it. It truly came together in this serendipitous way, which is kind of funny thinking about it now. It's such a great story, and you're certainly in the right place to be launching a new boutique. I think one interesting thing that I've observed is that, you know, actually the Financial Times was writing about this just the other day, was how many new boutiques have entered the fray. I mean, certainly a competitive landscape out there. You give me some context around how 52 Capital Partners approaches a crowded landscape in the advisory space to really stand out from the competition? Sure. It's absolutely front and center every day with 52 Capital Partners. As the founder of the firm, you know, I need to be laser focused on differentiation all the time. I mean, it is the bread and butter for being successful in the boutique advisory landscape. As you mentioned, it's extraordinarily crowded. It's become even more crowded in recent years with greater numbers of investment bankers, you know, transitioning from the large firms to the small firms to, you know, either start their own brand or bolt on to bigger boutiques. There's an extraordinary amount of disruption that's happened in the industry, which is exciting. 
it also, you know, in running a boutique advisory firm, there's an extraordinary amount of challenge when it comes to finding a way to differentiate. There are lots of firms who sound the same or look the same. And the question is always, okay, well, why hire one versus the other? Is it a personal relationship? Is there some industry specialization that differentiates one firm from the pack? For 52 Capital Partners, it's been principally two variables that have really enabled us to be successful. One is just, I've been fortunate to have great relationships cultivated over many years across industry and different continents, including you know North America, Europe, and Asia. And so having those relationships built over time has really helped spawn a great network effect. So I'm able to kind of capture some leads and pipeline through friendships and relationships that I have benefited from over the years. So that's been one that's front and center, not just, I think, for 52 Capital Partners, but for many firms, it's those relationships that can lead to, you know, just opportunistic deals where otherwise there wouldn't be an opportunity. So it's been really good to have those relationships leverage. That's been front and center for us. The other piece in terms of differentiation has been the Asia Pacific and China angle. I'm fluent in Mandarin. I've lived, studied, and worked in China previously in my career, have a huge background and interest in the Asia Pacific, particularly China. And having that regional specialization has been a huge calling card for the firm in terms of marketing to American businesses that are trying to navigate the current climate with China and the Asia Pacific, particularly given all the uncertainty with China and the tariff action happening. So the, the Asia Pacific, the regional specialization has really been a differentiator for us. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because obviously this is extremely topical. You know, there's been a trade war with China that's been going on for the last year and a half or so. And I think just recently there was an announcement regarding this phase one trade deal. Do you have any perspectives on that and the extent to which that's going to impact, you know, M&A activity between the two countries? Yeah, it's been front and center at 52 Capital Partners ever since tariffs were, were levied in a meaningful way a few years ago. The tariff war absolutely had a major impact on M&A volumes cross-border with China. It's absolutely dampened levels, and that's been a major sticking point, a major hurdle to getting deals done with China. The phase one trade deal is absolutely a positive not just for financial markets in both economies, but also M&A activity cross-border with China. There's been an extraordinary amount of pent-up demand for M&A activity with China that's been sitting on the sidelines. And the phase one deal, while it's not a comprehensive deal that addresses all the material points, it does offer some breathing room for M&A dealmakers that are looking opportunistically to the China market. So I think there's a good probability we'll see an uptick in cross-border M&A volume coming out of this phase one trade deal. It's absolutely a positive. I think the bigger question in my mind, Fed, is the long-term implications of this phase one trade deal and whether it resolves more fundamental issues. There's still an extraordinary amount of concern among the American business community that, you know, notwithstanding a phase one trade deal, there are still real concerns that China's state industrial policies, you know, strongly benefit Chinese enterprises to the detriment of American businesses operating in the country. And there's an uneven playing field in China that still prejudices foreign multinationals that are looking to operate in China. So there's some breathing room, there's some positive momentum that comes out of this phase one deal. There's a good probability, I think we're going to see an uptick in M&A volumes with China coming out of this. But remember, this is just a phase one deal. There are other elements in the relationship, particularly around 
intellectual property, state industrial policy in China, forced transfers of technology that remain largely unresolved by this phase one deal. And so it's going to be imperative for the U.S. and China to really, you know, come back to the negotiating table and try to achieve some lasting resolution around those bigger sticking points. It's great that we have this phase one trade deal because it shows good faith gestures on both sides to, you know, reduce some of the tariffs and have a more you know, mature discussion around key points. But I think the bigger question is how these more fundamental structural problems in the relationship can be resolved. But this is a positive sign to be sure. Awesome. Super helpful context. If we were to take a step back and just go into reflection mode for a second, you've been at this now for about two years at 52 Capital Partners. I imagine that there's a number of listeners who might be considering taking a leap. Maybe they're at a more established bank and they're thinking about going out on their own. If you could give yourself two or three key pieces of advice to, you know, the two year ago version of David Willard, what would those pieces of advice be? Yeah, uh, giving advice to my younger self from a couple of years ago. Gosh, it's hindsight's 2020, but I would say it is beyond gratifying, number one, to start a firm from scratch. It is a risk worth taking for those adventurous you know, bankers and in industry that are looking to make the move. It is worth the trip, worth the adventure, no matter how you slice it. It is beyond gratifying to build a brand, to build a client base, to learn all of the different hats you need to wear as a founder of a new firm. It's extraordinarily beneficial in terms of one's operating acumen. I think, you know, one of the challenges of working at, say, a large law firm is, you know, it's not always the case you get to wear a thousand hats at those larger firms, which is a great advantage, scale advantage for those firms. You don't need to learn sales and marketing and operational elements of the job, but it can be kind of limiting. As a new firm where you are building something from nothing, you by necessity, Fed, have to wear all the hats virtually. And that's been the case for me. And it's beyond gratifying to do that. So I would say Take the risk, take the leap for those who are thinking about doing it. It is absolutely worth it. The industry needs more disruption, more you know, smart, ambitious entrepreneurial advisors moving into the market and carving out their own niche. Entrepreneurship is a beautiful thing for the economy, for the country, and having more professionals in the space is a great thing. So take the risk. And I would say the other big piece of advice, and I had to learn this the hard way, early on, and I've gotten better at it, but it's challenging to learn the art of making lots of decisions very quickly, making lots of decisions as quickly as you can in starting a firm. That is so important for gaining momentum, both in terms of client development, but also building a brand. Make those decisions and make them expeditiously. If you want to be on a podcast or write an article, don't think twice about it and starting your own firm. Just do it and get out there and make those decisions and take action. You really will benefit from making lots of lists of things to do and then actually effectuating them in rapid fire fashion. That's a great way to kind of blitz scale a firm from scratch, particularly if you're bootstrapping the business, just making lots of decisions and not looking back, not doing too much reflection early on because speed and momentum are really important particularly in such a competitive industry where there's, you know, a lot of players looking for pipeline and there's sometimes fierce competition, make those decisions, make them quickly and keep pushing ahead and persevere. Perseverance, I would say the last piece of advice 
persevere. There are extraordinary roller coasters um, in the first year or two of starting a business. There are the highs are high and the lows are low. And the lows are really low. So it's important to kind of enjoy those highs and have those lows not drag you down because it can be slow sometimes. Even when you think things are going well, there can just be a slow patch. And it's important to kind of persevere through those tougher patches because there are great opportunities right around the corner. And that's another thing, you know, there are so many deals happening and you never know when the next one's going to fall on the inbox. And so it's important to persevere and stick at it. That'd be my last piece of advice is just perseverance, resiliency are all important in this industry, particularly if you're bootstrapping a business from scratch and trying to scale it. So that's what I would say, Fed, for those adventurous professionals looking to do it, you know, make a lot of decisions take the risk, number one, on the front end, make a lot of decisions quickly, and then persevere, stay resilient, and try to level those lows and level those highs and plug through. Thanks for sharing that, David. You know, one of the things that you mentioned, which definitely resonated with me, was this notion of getting used to wearing all of the hats. That's certainly something that I had to get used to, you know, coming out of a very formal law firm-like environment where the type of tasks that are associated with your day-to-day job are relatively limited. And then, you know, now as a startup founder, finding that I have to, you know, wear 10 different hats on any given day, you know, share what are maybe some of the hats that you wish you didn't have to wear in the context of managing 52 Capital Partners. Oh, gosh, that's, well, a question I wrestle in my head on a daily basis, Fed, so I'm glad you're asking it. You know, well, I joked the other day to a friend, And wearing all the hats, this is just an example of a recent hat wearing exercise that I had to do. You know, in starting your firm, I have to do all of the invoices, you know, so engagement letters and processing invoices and a lot of administrative work. I have to do that because I wear the hats and I've had to do it, you know, kind of starting out. And so basic tasks like, you know, processing an invoice, you know, getting it squared away from an administrative standpoint. I've had to do that. And there are some days that were truly, I will go from processing an invoice, you know, on my laptop to, you know, conducting as a guest analyst, a live interview with Bloomberg News in the San Francisco studio talking about the US-China trade war all in the same day. So in terms of the hat wearing, it can go from quite kind of menial tasks of processing invoices to, you know, being invited to opine in front of, you know, millions of people on the radio or TV, opine on big, you know, economic topics affecting commerce. So I would say in terms of hats, I wish I could offload. I would say, yeah, kind of the invoice administrative processing. I'd love to offload that more just because it can be quite tedious and in a busy day with lots of phone calls, it can be tough to manage that on top of everything else. And then the other piece is, and probably because I'm not so great at it, Fed, candidly, is the sales and marketing and website management. I tell you, I have learned so much as a founder about sales and marketing and website management and how to optimize it in a way that makes sense. And I've started to outsource some of that website management and sales and marketing to do some helpful service providers who can assist me on that. But early on, it was really challenging for a newbie (laughs) to try to pick that up and be savvy with it. Some definite highs and lows. And I wish I could offload that completely to more seasoned experts who know far more (laughs) about marketing and sales and website management. So that's an area I wish I could offload a little bit. So yeah, I'd say 
kind of the administrative stuff. I wish I could get in the hands of some other folks. Sales marketing website is another area. But I will tell you, all of that being said, this is really for those looking to chart their own firm. You know, it's important early on to wear all of those hats. It's really important to do the nitty gritty work and to learn the business inside and out and make those mistakes early on in starting your own business, learn from them and persevere. And it's important early on to kind of, you know, make the coffee, make the website, you know, do all of the above because it's going to make your business more resilient and stronger as you start to scale and outsource and add more people. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, especially for those that are starting a business for the first time, you've never had to do these things before eventually you're going to be managing people that are doing these sorts of things. And your ability to effectively manage them is going to be much greater as a result of actually having done the work initially, and at least having become conversant in some of these areas, whether it's website or setting up a CRM or any of these types of things. Totally. It's so true. From a management standpoint, personal management standpoint, Knowing little tidbits on sales and marketing or website management, knowing that and having learned how to do it in a rookie way, it's a great way to expedite training of personnel who take on those tasks. So I would absolutely encourage anyone who's looking to do their own firm. It's so tempting, Fed, to just say, okay, I'm a banker. I'm an advisor. I don't do the small stuff. I don't do the website management or the invoice processing, it's tempting to want to outsource that. But if particularly if you're bootstrapping the business with your own capital, and you want to be judicious on the cost side of things, I would encourage those to really wear those hats, make those mistakes, learn the business inside and out, because from a bottoms up standpoint, you're going to have a more resilient business that is just stronger and better positioned for success. Plus, in wearing all the hats too, you reduce the number of vendors that you have to work with on the front end, which allows you to kind of experiment a little bit more rather than just, you know, outsourcing different tasks to different providers who are, yeah, they're pros at it, but they're just performing a function, performing a service and getting it done. You can kind of experiment more when you're doing it on your own in terms of, okay, how do I process invoices? How do I you know, develop a email management system that's most effective, our, you know, banking account, checking account, how does that work out? Basic accounting, how does that work out? You know, hiring and recruitment, okay, that could be outsourced, but fundamentally, what do we really need to do to be successful in recruitment? Let's learn that from the bottoms up. And just learning all of those things on your own is so invaluable. And you can always outsource at a later point in time, I would encourage new founders or those looking to do this to really roll up the sleeves early on and take the bull by the horns and wear as many hats as you can. It's exhausting, don't get me wrong, but it'll just make your business stronger. Well, David, on that great note, thank you so much for stopping by the Pencils Down podcast and and sharing your insights with us. I hope to have you back sometime soon. Thank you. This was great, Fed. Thanks so much and congratulations on Pencils Down. This is a great opportunity. All right. Talk to you soon. That's it for today. Special thanks to David Willard and 52 Capital Partners. You can rate and review Pencils Down on Apple Podcasts. Got a question for us? Send us an email at pencilsdown at finalis.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Pencils Down on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded.